began a series last week called Numa, which is a series about the life in the spirit. And the word Numa is a Greek word, which basically means breath, wind, and it's the word used in the New Testament translations of the word spirit. And so we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And what I encouraged you last week with is just to open your heart to this series, because all of us come to this topic of the Holy Spirit from different perspectives. And so what we challenged you with last week was just be open to God's Word and to what God may be saying through this, because Christianity is really meant to be a life that is fully surrendered to and dependent on the Holy Spirit. That's what we saw last week. We also talked about that the degree to which believers have ignored the Holy Spirit in their life is directly connected to the dissatisfaction they feel with their Christian life. Many of you, if you were to be honest, you're frustrated with your Christian walk, you feel like it's dry, that it's powerless, and it could be because this has become for you a human level, try to do good enough, try to honor and please God, and you've not allowed the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work, not only for your salvation, but for how you live every day for God and for his mission. So today, I want to talk about our example. We do have an example that's set before us of how to live a spirit-filled life, and it's probably an example that you often do not consider. So the Holy Spirit, before we get to our example, I want to kind of give you a quick history of the Holy Spirit, because this is not like some new thing that just showed up on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's been at work from the very beginning of time. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1 in the Bible, the very opening accounts that Moses wrote of the creation of our world, you're going to see the Holy Spirit actively at work. So before we jump there, I just want to encourage you today to grab the notes available to you through your Version Bible apps that many of you have on your smart devices. If you go to your menu, events, you'll find Neighborhood Church there. Tap it. The notes and passages are all there for you. Also, our website has those notes available for you, as well as through our Neighborhood Church app you can get from your app store. So just check that out. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 goes like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and notice what happens. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So present creation, hovering over the face of the waters, kind of poised to order and complete what the Father had purposed and planned. So we see him hovering. It's almost as though the Holy Spirit is the creative agent behind the Father in the work of creation. And then the Holy Spirit was specifically involved in the creation of man. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, because we, we see the, the account where God had formed man, but I want to notice, I want you to see some words that are at work here, all right? So then the Lord says, this is Genesis 2, 7, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and then breathed into his nostrils, what was it? The breath of life. And man became a living being, or some translations say became a living soul. So when Adam was created, God breathed life into him, but that wasn't just physical life that was breathed into Adam. It was spiritual life breathed into Adam because at that point he was a perfect spiritual being in a physical body. There was no sin. So God breathed into him. Now I want you to Hold that in your mind as we go now to Job chapter 33, verse 4, where Job says these words, the Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. 
So we see the Holy Spirit, the breath of the Almighty, involved not only in creation generally, but in the creation of man and the work he was doing internally to bring us life. And then, as the Old Testament continues, the Spirit of God was at work in different people throughout the Old Testament. But what would happen is the Holy Spirit would come upon a person for a specific purpose for a specific task. Sometimes that was to give a word of prophecy on behalf of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit would come upon a prophet and that prophet would speak. But then the Holy Spirit would lift. There would be times the Holy Spirit would come upon a a judge. Like we think of uh, Samson. Maybe you've heard the story of Samson. It talks about how the Holy Spirit comes upon Samson and gave him the strength and then he would do something. And there were times when the Holy Spirit came upon people to give them a special ability. There were men that were used in creating the utensils and the, the artifacts that were within the temple or at that point the tabernacle. And it said the Spirit of God gave these men abilities to craft and work with sculpting and gold. And so it was the Holy Spirit that gave these men a special ability. Sometimes they were given a supernatural ability, as in, like we've already talked about, Samson. But throughout the Bible, we see God, by the Holy Spirit, empowering people for a task. We see Moses, we see in the judges, we see Gideon, in the kings, we see Saul and David. All of these people who did what God wanted them to do did that by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit was temporary. It would come upon them to perform the task and then would lift. And so what basically happened is the Spirit's activity in the Old Testament, while it's very powerful, it was not complete. And it looked forward to an age when the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon all people. In fact, the prophets speak of that, specifically Ezekiel and Joel. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, listen to what the prophet says. I will give you a new heart. This is speaking to, by the way, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people who had completely turned their back on God, were in captivity, all right? They began to focus on the law because they couldn't worship at their temple. So all of a sudden, Jewish law and memorizing Jewish law and honoring the law and all the rabbinic laws that went along with the law to help you follow the law, you know, they became very law-focused. And notice in that environment what God says. I will give you a new heart. doesn't matter how much law you have, you need a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. Now notice that spirit is lowercase. Everybody see that in your own Bibles or on the screen? I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, you'll be pliable. Now, notice what happens. And I will put my spirit, that's capital S. That is, that is in, in the Old Testament, ruach. That is the spirit of God. I will put my spirit where? In you. Not just upon you, not just hovering over you, but now in you. And move you, that's the other term for spirit, which is to animate right? We all like cartoons, animations, moving pictures. That's the sense of the word spirit as well. And move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep all my laws. Now in Joel chapter 2, the other prophet says this, Joel 2, 28, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Both of those are capitalized spirits, the Holy Spirit. And notice, it's not only for specific people. It's not just for kings. It's not just for prophets. It's not just for priests. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh or all people, it says. 
So the coming of Jesus would usher in this kind of new and lasting age of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want you to do now is we're going to move to the New Testament, and I want you to see how around the coming of Jesus, his birth, his incarnation, the events surrounding that, I want you to see how the Holy Spirit was at work to usher in this new age of the Holy Spirit in a way that was more complete than it was in the Old Testament. So Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to go in your Bibles, and, and I don't have any of these specific passages uh, in your notes, but if you read Luke chapter 1, which, which is the parallel stories of Zechariah and Elizabeth with their announcement of the birth of John, and then there's the story of Mary, Joseph, and the birth of Jesus. There's these two parallel stories that go through Luke chapter 1, and I want you to see, and I'll read them for you, but I want you to listen for the work of the Holy Spirit in these stories. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, we see the story of Zechariah. He's in the temple. He's been praying for a son, for his wife to be able to have a child. She's been barren. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Again, sanctity of life was a big deal to God. And he was saying John's going to be born before he's even born, the Holy Spirit will be at work in John's life. And we'll see that. Now, a little bit farther forward in Luke chapter 1, verse 30. But the angel said to her, this is now the announcement to Mary. So we move from John's story to Jesus' story. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And she says, how will this be? Notice the words. Since I am a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So we have the Holy Spirit at work in John's story from even before he's born. We have the Holy Spirit at work in Mary impregnating her with the Son of God. The Holy Spirit's been totally involved in these two parallel stories. Luke chapter 1 verse 39, we see when Mary discovers she's now really actually pregnant, morning sickness and all the stuff that goes with it. She goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. So here's the story. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. And where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, which is John's mom. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. The Holy Spirit's involvement around the birth narratives of Jesus and John's life. And then after Zechariah names their son John, this is Luke 1.67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So all around the birth of Jesus, this new coming age of the Holy Spirit is the active work of the Holy Spirit in bringing the whole thing about. Now, what happens, then we, we have kind of the Gospels transitioning from the life of child as an infant, or the Jesus as an infant, now to his public ministry. So in Luke chapter 3, we see 
Jesus getting ready to take his place in ministry, but we see John the Baptist at work baptizing in the wilderness. And look at what John says about Jesus. This is Luke 3, 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. So John answered them all, I baptized you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In other words, Jesus is coming, and his coming, and his work on our world, his death and resurrection ascension, will usher in an age of the Holy Spirit like never before. All right? Now, what I want us to focus on here is that Jesus ministered by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he, therefore, is our example. The reason I want to say this is when we think about Jesus, rightly so, we kind of put him up here on a, on a very high place. And it's like, that's Jesus. We can never be like him. Now, as Christians, we are called to be like Christ, but we have this idea that what Jesus did and how he ministered is unattainable. But what I want us to understand is that when Jesus ministered, before we dismiss him as being an example for us, when he ministered and how he ministered, there is something there for us to take note of, because yes, he was the son of God, always was the son of God, never ceased being the son of God, but when he ministered, he did it with the power of the Holy Spirit. When he served his heavenly father's mission, he needed help. He needed empowerment. So the key to understanding the life of Jesus is recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And then once we see the relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit, then we can better understand our relationship with the Holy Spirit in our own lives. So here's just something to think about. For the Spirit who gifted Jesus to serve as Heavenly Father is the same Spirit who will also gift you for service. Okay, There's no like junior Holy Spirit. Jesus had like the, the, the major Holy Spirit, you know, like all the all the bells and whistles, Holy Spirit, and then we just kind of get a little, you know, smaller version. No, Spirit of God that worked and ministered through Jesus was gifted to him as the same Holy Spirit at work in our life. Now, Jesus, as Philippians 2 tells us, he humbled himself. So when he left the splendor of heaven, because Jesus has always been, right, and he always will be, when he left heaven and came and entered our world as humanity, Philippians 2 says that he emptied himself, that he set aside all of his divine rights as God, and he became fully man. Yeah, he was also fully God, but he set all of those things aside. And when he ministered, he ministered as a man under the limitations that come with being a man. So he was hungry, he was tired, he got hurt, he got, a, he got broken. I mean, people abused him. I mean, he was fully human. He set aside his divine rights. And being limited within his humanity then, Jesus relied upon the Holy Spirit as his source of wisdom and power. And that's the case I want to build for us today. Because if it's true, and I believe we're going to look in the Bible that it is, that it's true that you and I also need the Holy Spirit in our lives to fulfill God's plan and purpose for us. So we see the presence of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life in a very clear, invisible way. Let's go to John, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 3. Because I love the fact that Luke, who also was the one who authored the, the book of Acts, 
Luke really pays attention to the Holy Spirit at work in the life of Jesus and certainly at work in the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2 and forward. All right? So Luke 3, Luke records the life of Jesus when it comes to his baptism. So when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven and heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. So we have a lot of years we don't hear about Jesus. The last story was when he was a child, about age 12, when he got lost, remember? He, was, he didn't get lost. He knew exactly where he was, uh, but his parents lost track of him. From that time on till he's 30, that's 18 years of the life of Jesus that we don't know a lot about. But now that his ministry was beginning, he goes to John, he's baptized, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit falls upon Christ. The Father speaks. Now, what I want you to notice is from that moment on, as Luke records it, what happens, okay? So in Luke chapter 4, right after his baptism, Luke 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. So notice now, Luke is drawing attention to what just happened. He was baptized, the Holy Spirit came. Now verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. So we have the temptation of Jesus. He's withstanding the temptations by the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit at work within him. All right? From that point, after temptation, Luke 4, 14, when Jesus returned to Galilee, or Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. If it was his own ability, it just would have said that Jesus returned to Galilee because he was the Son of God and he's all-powerful. But it doesn't do that. It says that he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. It doesn't mean it took him the power of the Spirit to walk to Galilee. What he's basically saying is when he moved about his ministry, it was in the power of of the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And then Jesus goes directly to his hometown, Nazareth, right? And he goes to the synagogue, and he opens the scroll to read that day in the synagogue, and he reads from Isaiah. And what he's reading is Isaiah's prophecy about himself and how he was going to minister in our world and how the church then was to do the same. So look at it. Luke 4:18. The spirit of the Lord is on me. This is the part of the scroll that Jesus is reading. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. He to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So we see Jesus connecting all those dots. The Spirit of God is on me to do the work of the Father. So here's what happens. The assignment was given by the Father. God had a plan for Jesus. It was accepted by the Son, Jesus, but it was fulfilled by the working power of the Holy Spirit. And the same is true for you and I. God has a plan and purpose for you. We have to be willing to be open to that. In the book of Acts, they were, because what was said of them is the Holy Spirit will come upon you to give you power to be my witnesses. The apostles chose to embrace that call. 
But they couldn't do any of that without the power of the Holy Spirit, who was going to be the agent that would carry that out. So we see that pattern in our lives as children of God as well. We need to accept the Father's plan for us. We need to be empowered by the Spirit to carry it out. So Jesus fulfilled his assignment as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. So he lived a Spirit-filled life as he walked upon this earth. He was a man in every sense of the word, but he lived beyond human ability because of the power of the Holy Spirit within him. So never forsake Jesus' example and how he ministered by just saying, well, he's God. Of course, he can do that kind of stuff. Recognize that the same Holy Spirit that's at work in his life is at work in ours. So Jesus' life is an example of the way in which we can live a spirit-filled life. He is our example in all aspects of our life. From beginning to the end, the Holy Spirit was at work in the life of Jesus. While on earth, we human beings are certainly in need of the Holy Spirit, much like Jesus was. That's why I'm pretty convinced that his final commandment to his disciples, after his death and resurrection, what did he tell them? Don't leave Jerusalem until you've received the promise of my Father, which was the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't attempt to do anything until you've been clothed with power from on high. Because when you try to go out in your own strength and accomplish what I'm calling you to do, you will fall flat on your face. You won't be able to do it. But once the Spirit came upon the apostles, then they began to do everything that the people had seen Jesus do. And we see it in the book of Acts, the things that the apostles did with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that can happen in the church today as well. The Holy Spirit who came upon Jesus is exactly the same Holy Spirit given to you. And that's why I believe that Jesus said these words to his disciples in that upper room account when he was spending that final moments with the disciples before he would go to the cross. In John 14, 12, he says this, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, what was he saying in that statement? We don't see the word spirit, but what was he saying? You're going to do greater things than I did because I go to the Father. But when he goes to the Father and takes his place at the right hand, what is the Father going to pour out upon his church? The Holy Spirit. It's good for you that I go away so the Holy, so the Holy Spirit can come is basically what he is saying. So, the book of Acts shows what happens when the apostles firmly believe that. We begin to see healings, people raised from the dead. We see them empowered by the Holy Spirit. Peter, who was that disciple who denied knowing Jesus, the very one who was empowered by the Spirit the day of Pentecost, stood up and preached a message that 3,000 people responded to and got saved. A little bit later in the book of Acts, chapter 10, the Holy Spirit taps Peter and says, I want you to go to the home of Cornelius. Well, it's not that specific, but you get the idea in the story. Cornelius was a, was a Greek man. He was an actual centurion. He was a commander of the army of the Italian regime or regiment, and he, he was a believer in God. So Peter is sent to go preach to this man, and so he does. And in the sermon in Cornelius' house, this is what Peter preaches, Acts 10.36. He says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel? Announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptisms that John preached, 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So Peter says, I saw it. And this is what happened. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. So how did Jesus do what he did? The Holy Spirit's power at work in his life. And what did he do? He went around and he did good. He healed and he set free those that were oppressed by the enemy. Friends, what more should we as the church be doing except going around doing good and seeing God's mission accomplished in our world? But we can't do that in our own strength. Peter connects it. He says it was the Holy Spirit power upon Jesus' life. Every facet of Jesus is a spiritual event in how he ministered. And the more that we become like Jesus, the more dependent on and empowered by the Holy Spirit we will be. And our goal, friends, let me remind you, our goal is always to become like Christ. The work of the Spirit, Paul talks about in his letters, especially Galatians, the work of that Spirit within us is to bring Christ's likeness out of us. Things like love, joy, peace, all of that doesn't happen in our own natural abilities. The flesh will never cause us to live that way. It is the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. So with Jesus, a whole new age of the Spirit has come, and it's permanent. The Holy Spirit dwells now in the lives of us. While he ministered, the Holy Spirit was in Jesus as he ministered. It was in John. But once Jesus died and rose again, went to the Father, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the apostles, the 120 plus in the upper room, and then 3,000 people got saved. All of a sudden, when you have a mass of army filled with the Holy Spirit, this is an unstoppable force. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Acts as the gospel explodes throughout the Roman Empire. So if Jesus could do his ministry only by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the apostles could only do that ministry under the power of the Holy Spirit, then you and I especially need to be more open to the work of the Holy Spirit today, because doesn't our world need that? They do. So to be a follower of Jesus is to be open to the same Spirit to whom Jesus was wide open. The same gift that he received from the Father it's now the gift that he gives to all of us who put our trust in him. So, Romans chapter 8. Paul speaks about this, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. In Romans 8 and 9, he's talking about the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. I want you to see what he says. Paul says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, that's the same term for the Holy Spirit, not like some kind of attribute of Christ or character. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. They do not belong to Christ. So in other words, we have to have the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit that identifies us as followers of Jesus, that we're part of the, the, the bride of Christ. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, which Paul's basically saying he is, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Now, this is the verse I want us to focus in on. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, in other words, the spirit of God, if the Holy Spirit is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Paul's very clear, friends. The same Holy Spirit that was at work in Jesus is the Holy Spirit at work in you. 
and me, and hopefully in his church today. So what do we do? How, what do, we, how do we respond to this? We come to Jesus that he might show us the way to the, not, not only the abundant life he's called us to, but the spirit-filled life. He is our example. And he didn't have a secret power that made him do what he did. It wasn't a, because he was God. It was because the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to do the work. So let's follow Jesus, our example, and embrace the spirit-filled life that he lived. That doesn't mean you're going to leave here and go walk on water. I don't think the greater things that Jesus told his disciples they would do had to do with being more impressive than what Jesus did. The greater work was more macro-based on a grander scale because the Holy Spirit now would be poured out upon countless hearts and souls. And each of us, empowered by the Holy Spirit, being messengers of his grace and truth, his gospel, in the far-flung corners of the world, no wonder the gospel is continuing to advance and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Because we, you, me, have the Holy Spirit of God in us. But here's my fear. We don't pay attention to it. We continue to live a life beneath what Christ has for us and for his church because we continue to ignore the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. What if Peter did that? What if Paul did that? Friends, I have a hunch we wouldn't be sitting here today. But they did, and here we are. And if we will, then should the Lord tarry hundreds of years down the road, people will be still calling and gathering in the name of Jesus because we're taking this seriously. Does your spiritual life feel dry, empty, powerless? As followers of Christ, friends, that should not be. The same spirit that empowered Jesus does it work in you? I want us to close our eyes just for a moment as we pray. Jesus, thank you for your example. Not only how to live a life that honors the Father, which we so desperately needed because we are prone to fail, to turn to our own sinful ways, but thank you for that example. But not only that, but you gave us the power to live the life that you lived. Thank you for entrusting us with that kind of power. The truth is, too many of us have ignored it. Either because we believe that's totally unattainable, or maybe we feel like we don't deserve it, or we have just completely been ignorant of it. So today, I just pray, Lord, we take your example. You came and emptied yourself, and in your humility, Empowered by the Holy Spirit, you ministered in ways that were profound and far-reaching. And then the same happened through your apostles and through the church throughout the ages as we hear countless stories of your work throughout our world. And still to this day, the way the Holy Spirit is advancing the gospel in parts of the world we'll never go to. But it's happening because the power of the Holy Spirit is still at work in those willing to believe. So I ask you to help us to open our hearts, to be willing to yield to the work of the Spirit within us, to help us to live the abundant life and victorious life you've called us to live, to honor you as Christ honored the Father, but also to be about your mission. 
We are your hands, your feet. We are your body that needs to be empowered by your spirit to do what you want to do in our community. So forgive us for ignoring you, for neglecting that. Draw us closer this week, maybe even to the awareness of the Spirit of God right here inside of us. Not temporarily, but permanently. Thank you that we are temples of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Help us to live accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen.